Hi Church, so today we are reading scripture Psalm 139. So let's stand up together as we read and honour the word of God. So let's begin. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make bed in show, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there you shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearful and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there are none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is some of them! If you would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous ways in me, and lead in me in the way everlasting. And this is the word of God. Let's pray before we start. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for we believe that your words is true, and that your words have the power to radically transform us, even as we read them, Lord we know that you are working in our heart already. And God, I pray that for the next 45, 50 minutes, I pray that you continue to reveal the beauty of your word to us and help us to see the glory of your Son. And I pray that as we listen, that Holy Spirit, that you do the supernatural work in our life. Change our heart. Make us more like Jesus because that's what we desire, Lord. So we ask this in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Let me start with a question. Does anyone love fake item? Okay, maybe let me ask a different question. Does any of you love to shop at Mangadua Mall? 
Now, if you do not know what Mangadua Mall is, it is a place in Jakarta where people go to to increase their self-esteem, right? By buying fake items. And Indonesian, they're expert at this. In fact, uh, we even have different grades of fake items for different prices. And, um, but it's safe to say, even though some of you might like fake items, not judging you, none of us like fake people. We do not like fakers. I mean, we crave authenticity, right? I mean, in our society, our culture, love to talk about this. Gotta be real, right? And I'm sure you heard this slogan before, okay? Don't let anyone tell you who you are. Be the real you. So we promote authenticity all the time in our culture. And even we, we tell one another, right? I mean, don't worry about that people's opinion. Don't worry about her opinion. What you need to worry is you. Be you. Be the real you. You just need to be true to yourself. Be authentic. But even though we promote authenticity, if we can be honest with ourselves, living an authentic life is very frightening. It does not matter who we are. I mean, all of us have hidden skeletons in our closets. I mean, we have some secret that we don't want other people to know, right? And to be authentic is to have other people actually know our skeletons. So as much as we like the idea of being known for who we truly are, we hate the consequences that come with it. So what happened most of the time is that we become hypocrites. I mean, we promote authentic life with our mouth, but deep inside our heart, we feel insecure. What if people look at me differently if they know who I truly am? Because we don't want them to know our skeletons. I mean, and our skeletons could be different thing. Could be our past, could be consequences of our past sin, could be our present struggle, uh, could be our family, could be the uncle, could be that, you know, that thing that you try to hide. Whatever it is, all of us, I'm sure, have this one thing or many things that make us feel insecure about ourselves. And we do not want anyone to know about it because we fear, we are insecure. If they know about it, they will look at us differently. And because of that, we have the insecurity and fear of being rejected. We think it is impossible for them to know who we truly are and love us and accept us at the same time. So what do we do? Here what we do. We try our best to cover up, right? We try to fake it. Fake it till you make it. So what we do is we try to live the best fake authentic life we possibly can. But here's what happened. It does not work. Do you know why? Because even though we do not want anyone to know our skeletons, we have the innate desire deep inside of us that long to be accepted and loved. And as long as we still keep up the fake appearances, we know that we're not truly loved and accepted. It's just superficial. And because of it, what happens is we're stuck. We want to be accepted, but we're afraid at the same time. So this creates a massive dilemma in us. Okay, and here's, the, here's the, the dilemma. We want to live an authentic life because we desire to be loved and accepted. We do not want to live an authentic life because we desire to be loved and accepted. Now, do you see what happened? We want it, 
but we do not want it at the same time. And until this dilemma is solved, we won't be able to have a genuine relationship with one another. So today we begin a new series that we titled, This Is Us, Growing Together as Righteous Sinners. And in this um, series, we're going to talk about the challenges that we often face as we grow together in a community. And I use the phrase righteous sinners intentionally because I believe that sums up who Christians are. Okay? We are righteous sinners because Christians are people who have been made righteous by the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus. But at the same time, Christians are sinners who struggle with sins daily. So it means both of, us, uh, both of them are true at the same time. We are righteous sinners, and we are far from perfect. And when a righteous sinner meet another righteous sinner and live together in a community, it's bound to be messy. It reveals the junk inside of us that we do not realize before. And in this series, we want to talk about that. We want to talk about the junk inside of heart and also how the gospel enables us to grow together. Okay? And in order to do that, before we even talk about one another, today we must talk about God first. Because we must see what God has done, who God is, before we can have a healthy horizontal relationship. Because unless the dilemma that we talk about is solved, there's no chance, there's no hope for us to have a healthy horizontal relationship. But if God has done something to solve this issue, then it is possible for us to grow together as righteous sinners. And for that, we turn to Psalm 139. Now, this psalm is one of my favorite psalms. Okay? It is written by King David. And I love this psalm because this psalm speaks both to our head and our heart. It engages our intellect, but also our affection. Because in this psalm, David will tell us you know, that God is so great, so amazing, far greater than we could have imagined. So it's going to be very theological. But this same God is also very personal. He's very near. He's intimate with his people. So this is intensely theological and wonderfully personal at the same time. And in this psalm, David introduces us to the God who knows everything about him. God knows David's past, present, and future. God knows his thought, desire, and plan. Nothing escaped God. And yet this God loves and accepts David. How is it possible? I have three points for my sermon today. God is all-knowing, God is ever-present, and God is all-powerful. Another way to say it, God is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. Okay? And I will give you two quick implications at the end. First one, God is all-knowing, verse 1 to 6. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So the first thing that David tells us about God, that's God sees and knows all things. And we pay, we pay attention to the words that David used. It is very intense 
because it suggests that God knows every little detail about David's life. He knows when David sits down. He knows when David rises up. He knows David's thoughts. Even before words come out of David's mouth, God already knew what David was going to say. Isn't that amazing? Before David does anything, God already knew what David would do. And the knowledge of God of David is not simply a record of David's life. You know, it's not as if God is paying attention to David's life through this, you know, heavenly CCTV 24-7. It's not that. It's far deeper than that. Okay, what David is saying is this, get this. Every detail, every possibility, every event in past, present, and future, God already sees and God already knows. Nothing escapes God. Nothing can be hidden from God. And nothing is forgotten by God. God misses nothing and knows everything. And we must get this right. This comprehensive knowledge of God is not as if God foresees everything that will happen in the future. Because the concept of past, present, and future does not apply to God. Why? Well, because God lives outside of time. Think about it. God is the creator. Time is God's creation. And creator is not limited by his creation. So God, today, God is not trapped in the present. No, he's not. He sees everything at once. So it's not as if God, you know, in the present and then God look into the corridor of history and know the future. It's not that. But rather what happened is God look everything at once. It means God never learned anything new. He cannot learn because he knows all things at once. He's perfect in knowledge. He's never surprised or amazed by anything. He knows the totality of our life. Every emotion, every feeling, every idea, doubt, question, God sees us like an open book. There's no secret before God. Okay, let me put it in our everyday language. One of the dilemmas that I faced during this lockdown is, I don't know about you, but mine is deciding what to eat. One of the goals I have during this lockdown is actually to lose weight because I've been gaining weight constantly. Okay? It's not good. So what I did, I decided to do some exercise. Okay? And one of them is actually to walk from my house to Chaswood to get something to eat. So back and forth is about 4K. Okay? Not bad, right? So on my way to Chaswood and on my way to get to something to eat, you know, I have a lot of options. But because I wanted to lose weight, I decided, you know what? I'm going to eat sumo salad. But on my way to sumo salad, I have to walk past the valley of temptations. And more often than not, I will go back home with Korean fried chicken instead of sumo salad. Okay, true story. So here's the question. Did God know I would choose to buy Korean fried chicken instead of sumo salad before I made the choice? Well, let's say I bought sumo salad instead of Korean fried chicken. Would God have shouted in heaven, Gabriel, Gabriel, omo, omo, omo. Look at that. I did not see that coming. Yossi choose to buy sumo salad. It's a miracle. No. Psalm 139 tells us this, that God knows exactly what I will have for dinner. 
And David pushed it even further. Before I made the choice, before I was weighing my option on what to eat, my consideration, my thought pattern, my taste bud, my love for fried chicken, my distaste for salad, my desire to lose weight, my love for fatty food, God knows. God knows what I would have for dinner before I choose that dinner and before I even thought of dinner. And not only that, God knows what I'm going to eat tomorrow. He knows tomorrow I'm going to choose a burger over sumo salad because God is acquainted with all my weight. So nothing that I can do that catch him by surprise. He knows every little detail of my life. And right now, even right now, God knows if you're tuning into the sermon while watching Netflix, He knows. He's not a stranger to anything that we do. God knows us more than we know ourselves. He knows us intimately. He's not a far off distant God. No, He knows us so intimately and it is impossible for us to deceive Him. He knows us inside out. And do you know why this is problematic? Here's why. Because it means God knows all our skeletons. Everything that we try to hide, all our secrets, He knows. I mean, we may dig a deep hole to hide it so that no one will see it. But He sees and He knows. There's nothing hidden from Him. And that is why in verse 6, what David say, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And the word wonderful, that's actually an interesting Hebrew word because it can be used in both positive connotation and negative connotation. So if it's positive connotation, then what David says is like, God's intimate knowledge of him, wow, is so deep, so high, so wide for his finite mind. So he's wow by it. Or maybe I can put it a different way. He's wow by it, right? Wow. It's amazing. But then it also can be used in a negative connotation. So what David says then, he's like, I'm overwhelmed by God's intimate knowledge of me. It's too much for me to handle. It's just too big, too, too burdensome. I'm afraid of it. And in fact, if we read the following verses, it seems that that is the case, that David is afraid and wants to escape from the all-knowing God. Why? Well, the same reason you and I will hide if someone knew everything there is to know about us. Think about it. Let's say just right before I preached this sermon, God sent me an email from juicysecrets at heaven.com containing all the secret thoughts that you have ever since you woke up this morning. All the selfish thought, the lustful thought, the angry thoughts, all of them written in an email for me. And I decided to read the email out loud in my sermon and call you out by name. Well, Edric, uh, this is what God says, what was in your thought today. Josh, Tim, right? You will immediately switch off the sermon and move to different church next week. I guarantee you. Why? Because we could not bear knowing our own thoughts. Even more when other people know our thoughts. We are extremely afraid of being known. We don't have the guts to be authentic. 
And this created a dilemma because on one hand, we want to live authentic life because we desire to be loved and accepted. Because if people love us but they don't have idea who we truly are, it does not work. It's superficial. On the other hand, we do not want to live authentic life because we're afraid, because we desire to be loved and accepted. And we're afraid if people know who we are, then they will not love us and accept us. And this is a fundamental human problem. This is the problem with our first ancestors, Adam and Eve. See, Adam and Eve, they were created with God's glory. Okay, God's glory were covering them. And Genesis tells us that they were naked and they were not ashamed. Why? Because they have nothing to hide. So they actually live the authentic life perfectly. They were known for who they truly were and there's nothing to be ashamed about them. But the moment they sin against God, you know what happened? Their eyes are open and they realize they were naked and they were ashamed. And from that moment, they, can, they straight away suffix live together. Why? To cover their shame, to cover their nakedness. And we've been stuck covering our shame and nakedness ever since then. We suffix lives together to cover our shame. We find ways to cover our mess so that people won't reject us. But as long as we still do that, we will never be truly loved. We will not be able to have genuine relationship with one another. Now, this is the problem now. Let's move on. God is not only all-knowing, but second, God is ever-present. For 7 to 12, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shoal, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. See, I think this verse confirmed the fact that David actually tried to hide and run away from God who knows everything about him. And this verse also tells us why God sees and knows all things. See, God sees and knows all things because God is everywhere to see and know it. God is ever-present. When I first learned how to ride a bike, all I wanted to do every time I came back from school was to ride my bike. And my dad warned me, right? Okay, you can ride your bike, but do not wander too far. But then there's one afternoon where my friend said, you know, Yos, why don't we go to the lake nearby? And I thought, that sounds cool, like, and my dad will not find out. So, okay, let's go. So I agreed. So we went to the lake, and when I get there, I was surprised. Now, I grew up in Bali, okay? It's very different from Surabaya and Jakarta. And in Bali, we have a lot of, at that time at least, we have a lot of nice and clean lake. And you know what? Many ladies took a bath in the lake. I was shocked. It was my very first time being exposed to the dark side, right? So um, we started picking from afar then, me and my friend. But then before too long, we found ourselves playing in the lake with them taking a bath next to us. Okay. But I thought it was all fine. Well, it's cool. It's fine. I had fun. And my dad will not find out. 
And when I got home, I acted as if nothing happened to me. But I forgot that my clothing was still wet. And because of it, my dad found out that I went to the lake. And you know what my dad did? Kapow, right? And in the same way, it was foolish of me to think that I could escape my dad. It is foolish for us to think that we can escape God. I mean, I might get away from my dad if I just pay more attention to my clothes. But it does not work with God. Why? Because God was with me on the lake. God was with me on the way to the lake. God was with me when I take a peek at those ladies. There's not a single place in the universe where we can hide from God. And I love the expression that David used because David sees used the expression of high, low, east, and west. He said that if I ascend to heaven, God is there. If he goes to Sheol, the land of dead, God is there. If he goes to the east where the sun rises, God is there. If he goes to the west where the sea is from Israel, God is there. In other words, David is saying God is inescapable. I mean, we can go to the moon, God is there. We can go to the city where little Mehmet live and sing under the sea, under the sea, God is there. We can go to Papua, God is there. We can go to Africa, God is there. We cannot escape God. We cannot flee from God's presence. We can try, but it does not work. And David's not finished there, but then he continued to say that even in darkness, God is there. Even amid the darkest place where there's no one and we can't see anything, that dark space is not dark at all for God. I mean, we can hide under the blanket in a dark room. God is there. Darkness may hide us from other people, but it cannot hide us from God. And it's not as if God was there in a way that oxygen is everywhere. Because that's a lot of time how we think about God's ever-presence, right? But that's not true. I love the way Herman Bavin put it. He put it this way. God is not present in creation as a king in his realm or a captain aboard his ship. He does not act upon the world from a distance, but with his whole being, he's present powerfully here and everywhere with respect to his essence and power. Wow. So it means at this moment right now, wherever we are, we might be in our living room, we might be in our bedroom, we might be in the toilet, wherever we are right now, right now God is holy presence with us. He's completely present at every point in space. There's no hiding place from Him. So that means, listen, God not only knows our secret sin, He's there when we commit to sins. Well, it might sound like bad news for now, but it's also comforting because it means that whatever situation we face today, we might be on the lowest valley where there's not a single person who knows what we're going through. Or we might be flying high with the angels right now, worshiping God, holy, holy, holy. God is present with us. God has his eye on us. And we cannot catch God of God. He does not sleep nor slumber. He's present with us at four in the morning when we cry, when there's no one there but our tears, but our pillow. 
and His presence with us at one in the afternoon when we go out to lunch with our mates. He was with us. He was with us yesterday. He's with us today, and He will be with us tomorrow. He's not limited by time and space. See, our tomorrow and our yesterday are not only something that God knows. It is where God is at this moment. God is ever present. <laughs> well, I know this is too much already for our finite mind. But David's not finished. It gets even better. Third one. God is all powerful. Verse 13 to verse 16. For you formed my inward parts. You kneaded me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Now, pay attention to that word for in verse 13. Because that's crucial. Because David is giving us another reason why God sees and knows all things. God sees and knows all things, not only just because he's ever present, but because he made and preordained all things. In other words, God not only sees and knows all things, or no, he is the author of all things. So that means God is not a passive observant. Oh no, he's an active participant in everything that happened. See, there's no such thing as accident before God. God is the God of purpose and nothing he does is random or meaningless. And the word that David used here is actually the word knitting. It's like knitting. Well, of course, I hardly know anything about knitting. Okay, I'm a guy. But I do know one thing. When you need, you need with N in mind. I mean, you don't need a scarf without knowing that you're making a scarf. So when David says that God needs us, he means that God knows exactly what he's doing and he does not make mistakes. My friend, you and I are not an accident. We might be an accident to our parents, but we're not to God. See, there's no such thing as a legitimate child, there's no such thing. It might be an illegitimate relationship. The child might be conceived out of rape. The parents might not plan for the child. But just because the human, just because human do not plan it, does not mean it's not planned by God. Every child is knitted together in their mother's womb by God. And when God needs, he does not make a mistake. When no one sees us, God saws us and He forms us. He took the time to knit us together in our mother's womb. That means if we think in any way that we are a mistake, then we are accusing God of making a mistake. But God, my friend, never makes a mistake. He's too wise, too good, too kind to make a mistake. The truth is, here's the truth, no matter who you are, no matter what you've been through, no matter what kind of situation you're in, no matter what kind of background you come from, you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made 
by God of the universe. And this truth applies to everything there is about us. From our race, our family, our height, our hobby, our talents, our personality, our DNA, God designed us to be us, and he does not make mistakes. So one of the things that I used to not like about myself is my eyes. Now, I have these very squinty eyes, right, that makes my nationality questionable. People used to say that I'm too dark to be Chinese, but my eyes are too small to be Indonesian. But it's not as if God was making a mistake when he formed me, no. It's not as if one day you know, God was tired, he needed a nap, and he said to the angel, angel, why don't you take charge of needing Yossi? And then God took a nap, and then the angel finished his job, and then the angel brought me to God, and God's like, oh, oh my gosh, angel, why, why, why? What have you done? Can't you see that his eyes are too small? He's going to be a public speaker one day. Don't you feel sorry for him? Because people won't be able to see his eyes when he laughs, right? It's gone. No, that did not happen. Psalm 139 tells us that God created me with small eyes purposefully because he knew one day that small eyes will be the new sexy. So it doesn't matter what our frame is. We can be tall, short, large eye, small eyes, straight nose, bent nose, dark skin, white skin, God does not make mistake when he forms us. It does not matter what our personality type is. It is designed by God. And my friend, that includes children who are born with disabilities. God does not make mistake in dealing them together. And it gets even better. God not only needed us together, but he says, he has also written our end from the very beginning. It means there's not a single moment of our life that is out of script. Get this. God has written every single one of our days in his book before we breathe our very first breath. From the moment of conception to the very last breath on earth, our story is already written in his book. And God is actively directing and guiding every page of our story. So when I was diagnosed with leukemia, I was surprised. I didn't even have a clue what leukemia was. All I know was that Song Hye Kyo died in endless love because of it. But God was not surprised. He knew and he preordained that as soon as I graduate from Dallas Baptist, I will be diagnosed with leukemia. All my days are written in his book. And all your days are written in his book. It does not matter what kind of situation that you're going through. It does not matter what kind of tragedy that happened around us. COVID might happen. Some of you might experience delayed marriage because of it. Some of you might went through divorce. Some of you might have a broken relationship. But the good news is this. God is not surprised by anything that happened in our life. There's nothing we can do. And there's nothing that happened to us that surprised God. Everything that happened is happening and will happen to us is orchestrated by the all-powerful God. See, God not only ordained who we are, He also ordained our history. He left nothing to chance. In other words, get this right, my friend. Our skeletons do not 
surprise God even for millisecond. It is already written in his book. Now, I understand some concerns that people might have with this truth. Okay? There's a lot of them. Okay? I don't have the time to address all of them. But let me just address one. We're not comfortable with the idea of an all-powerful God because we have seen how power abuses people. We've seen how power corrupted people, sorry. We've seen the abuse of power around us. So we've seen how power actually turned people into monsters. And the idea of all-powerful God sounds like tyranny to many of us. And this is one of the main reasons why our culture rejects the all-powerful God. Why? Because it's out of their control. They're, they're afraid of it. So instead of accepting the all-powerful God, what they do is they invented their own version of God that they can control. Or another thing that they do is they reject the existence of God altogether. But think with me for a little bit. We cannot escape the idea of the all-powerful God. Because someone must be. Someone must have all the power to create and govern the universe that we live in. So if God the creator does exist, then he must be all-powerful. Because if God is not all-powerful, then he cannot create the universe. And if we reject, okay, let's say, okay, let's we reject the idea of all-powerful God, and we say we simply a product of accident, that universe happened by chance. <laughs> it means, listen, there's not a single purpose and meaning to anything. None. Everything is just product of an accident. And we have a problem with this. Because deep inside, we know it cannot be true. Why? Think about it. Why are we afraid of people finding out our skeletons? Why do we desire to be loved and accepted? Why? Let me tell you why. Because deep inside, we want to matter. Deep inside, we want our life to have meaning. And if we throw the God of the universe, if we throw the God who created all things out of the picture, then everything is meaningless. meaningless. And we know we can't, our heart's not able to take that. We know there's something else greater. See, do you see the problem now? So the question is not whether we believe in the all-powerful God or not. The question is, what kind of God is he? Okay, listen to what David say in verse 17 and 18. And listen to the changes in David. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How fast is the sum of them. If I will count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. Now the word precious is a Hebrew word that is used to describe diamonds and emeralds. It is a word that is used to describe ultimate wealth. So in the early part of the psalm, we know that David wanted to escape from God. But now, in verse 17 and 18, when David thinks about the all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful God, rather than want to escape, he worships. He says, how precious are your thought of me, God. So the thought of God no longer frightened David. It's precious. It is ultimate wealth. Well, what happened? Well, I think here's what happened. See, Psalm 139 led us on a journey of discovering who God truly is. Now, remember our dilemma. 
We want to live an authentic life because we desire to be loved and accepted. But we do not want to live authentic life because we desire to be loved and accepted. And we're stuck, right? We don't know what to do about it. And the thought of God who knows all our skeletons frighten us. We reject him. We want to hide from him. But listen, what if? What if this all-powerful, ever-present, all-knowing God is using his attribute not to condemn us, but to guide us? What if is this power is used to care for us, to love us? Will not that change everything? And if you're not familiar with David's story, David is a man with a big skeleton to hide. See, what happened is David sleeps with another man and then kills her husband to cover his track. And he tries to cover up and he thinks he succeeded. Till one day God sent his prophet and tell David, David, <laughs> I know what you did last summer. And the same God also tell us that he sees and he knows all our hidden sin. He knows what we did last summer. He knows our skeleton. There's nothing that we can hide from him. And God will make sure that every sin receives just punishment. We will not get away with it. We cannot hide from him. And yes, we should be terrified of this God. But in verse 17, David delights in the fact that God knows everything there is to know about him. And in fact, at verse 18, this is what he say. I awake and I'm still with you. Now what's happening here? Is David just dreaming and suddenly wake up from his nap? Well, I don't think so. See, the word sleep and awake is a lot of time used in the Bible to describe death and life after death. So what David is saying is this, even when he wakes up from death, God is still with David. So David is saying to us, I have a God who constantly with me. I cannot get away from him and he will never ever let me go. And this God is fully committed to me that even after I die, he's still with me. From the earliest moment of existence to his existence after death, David has the confidence God will not forsake him. I mean, after all that David has done, how is that possible? Here's how. Because David got a glimpse of who the author actually is. See, he got a glimpse of the all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful God. And when he got the glimpse of this God and know this God and know the heart of this God, David has the assurance that even though God knows all his skeletons, God is not going to exploit him. He knows that God knows him to the bottom and loves him to the sky. And if David can know all that before the cross of Jesus, how much more for us who live after the cross of Jesus? Because the all-knowing, the ever-present, all-powerful God came to us. He revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And at the cross, Jesus was thrown into utter darkness. See, you and I were knitted together in our mother's womb. But at the cross, Jesus was unraveled. He was torn apart. 
And that is why at the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The ever-present God abandoned Jesus. If we cannot get away from the presence of God, Jesus received the absence of God. Well, why? Because Jesus took what you and I deserve at the cross so that when you and I put our faith in Jesus, we can have the confidence that He will never abandon us. See, rather than exploiting us skeletons, you know what Jesus did? Jesus took us skeletons with Him at the cross. He paid for it. And because of Jesus, we can have the confidence that the all-powerful God today is using all His power and attribute to love us and to care for us. The cross of Jesus Christ tells us, God knows all our skeletons and He loves us. And this is the only solution to our dilemma. Because the gospel tells us we have absolutely nothing to hide from God. God knows us to the depth of the ocean and He loves us to the sky. He experienced hell on on the cross for us. And do we think, do you think that the God who went to that degree to love us will allow anything to stop Him from loving us? Never. Jesus loves the very presence of God at the cross so that we have the confidence, assurance, God will never let us go. And to the degree that we know that we have been loved and accepted by God because of Jesus, to that degree, we can be authentic in our relationship with one another. To that degree, we know that Jesus, what Jesus went through for us. To that degree, we can say with David, how precious are your thoughts, O God. Because if we know what God thinks of us, if we know what God says about us, why do we need to hide? Because the gospel now gives us the freedom to be honest about our skeletons and not fear rejection. He knows, He loves us, He accepts us. And this, my friend, is our only hope for authentic life. The gospel is. The gospel is the only way for our heart to get unstuck. The only way. Two, two quick implications, and I'm done. Verse 19, 22. Oh, that you will slay the wicked, O God, O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. First implication. The gospel changes our attitude towards sin. So David's hatred toward the enemies of God is because he's so captivated by God's love for him. So now he cannot stand those who oppose God. And we should have the same hatred towards sin. So it does not mean we go out there and slay sinners. No, no, we know, understand today that God wants sinners to come into repentance. But we hate sin. We can, he cannot tolerate sin, and because of that, that is our attitude towards Him. We should not tolerate sin in our life. And the gospel drives us and empowers us to fight this battle, 
to conquer sin and to slay sins in our life. That's the first one. Second one, 22 to 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Second way is this. The gospel enables us to acknowledge our weaknesses. See, rather than hiding in fear from the all-knowing God, David invites God, God, why don't you search my heart? God, I acknowledge there's a problem inside of me. So the problem is not just out there. There's a lot of issues. There's a lot of junk that's happening in me. So God, please search my heart, know my heart, and lead me in the right way. You see what happened? See, the gospel humbled us to admit that we have a lot of junk issue inside of us that need to be sorted. So rather than trying to hide it, we welcome God to deal with it. God, deal with my junk. And you know how God does it? Let me tell you. Through the person next to you. Through our encounter with one another in a gospel community. That is why we desperately need one another to grow in our Christian walk. Yes, Christianity is personal faith, but it is a community project. You and I cannot grow together. I mean, you and I cannot grow on our own. We need one another. And that is why in the next few weeks, we will see how God refilled the junk inside of us. But before we do that, today I want to encourage you to be confident in who you are before God. Because the gospel tells us that God knows the very worst about us and He loves us with His very best. Embrace that truth. Soak in that truth. Let that truth melt your heart so that you be ready to have relationship with one another. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We believe that your word has power. And God, I pray that you continue to help us to look to you for our acceptance and for our love. That you know the very worst about us, and yet you love us. And that is the confidence that we have to be able to have relationship with one another, healthy relationship, to grow together as righteous sinners. As we continue to look to you and what you've done for us, as we continue to gaze upon the beauty of the cross, I pray that empower us, Lord, to be honest about our issue with one another so that we can help one another grow and glorify you together as a community. Do that in our heart, Holy Spirit. And for those of us, Lord, who might have to embrace that truth for the first time, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you make the gospel come alive, that we are far worse sinners than we could imagine, but you are far greater Savior than we could ever hope for. Help us to soak in that truth. Help us to embrace that truth and change us from the inside. And we ask this in the beloved name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.